Good morning, church. I want to encourage you with those words again. Vacant is thy jail-like tomb. Vanquished are its chains, its gloom. Thou, Jesus, art free, and thus so am I. And through thy triumph, death shall die. Well, amen. Praise God for the truth that we sing together and how he encourages and edifies our hearts through our singing to one another. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn again to the text of 1 Peter chapter 2? 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll begin reading this morning with verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And today, we'll be looking at the first part of verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Let's pray together. Father, we confess to you that your word is not understandable apart from a work of your spirit. For me to preach with any kind of eloquence or these, your sheep, to have studied so well even all of this effort that we put in, Lord, apart from a work of your spirit, it can reach our minds, but it could never reach our hearts. And that is where the change needs to take place. If change must happen today, let it happen at the level of the heart. And I pray that you would do this today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning we are continuing our study of 1 Peter chapter 2. As I mentioned, for those of you who have been with us in weeks past, um, in verse 11, Peter has begun a new section. He's taking us from the indicatives, those things that are true and characteristic of the Christian life, and he is talking to us now about the applications and imperatives of the Christian life. We've discussed the inside working its way out, the inside working its way out. There is a war going on for your soul, and how that war is going day to day affects our conduct among the Gentiles and how we behave. Well, as you can see, in verse 13, Peter is beginning to get into what you might say is the nitty-gritty. He's beginning to get down to some brass tacks, some details of what's going on. And I know some of you have been waiting for this moment. All right, we are going to talk about the government. <laughs> Let's begin the discussion of what Christians are to think about the government and our interactions with the government. Well, I've got bad news for you. We are not going to discuss that today. That will be next week. And honestly, uh, as interested as we all are in the government's responsibility towards Christians, that has nothing to do with the text today anyway. Uh, the text today is about what we must do, and that is to be submissive, or to be subject, or to submit. As a general rule, brothers and sisters, 
Our approach to the word of God should be that we want to understand it in order to obey it. I'll say that again. We want to understand the word of God in order that we may obey. Jeremy quoted in his pastoral prayer this morning, you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And then Paul goes on to say in Romans 12, to put on the new self. So you see the renewal of the mind comes first and then the putting on of the new self. This also should be our approach to the topic of submission. What does God require of me? When you come to verse 13 and you begin to see that we're to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, the question ought be, Lord, what do you require of me? But how we actually approach this situation and the question of submission is often not what we intend or in Christ what we hope for, but what our flesh wins us over to. And I think two things can happen in the heart of the Christian. We come to a text about submission, whether it's submitting to the government, submitting to a husband, submitting to an elder, submitting to a boss or authority. And we, we ask the question of the text, well, I want to know what's not required of me. I want to know what's not required of me in this text. I'm told here to be subject. Well, so when, do, when am I not supposed to be subject? What are the exceptions? What are the rules, right? Let, let's go ahead and lay out the boundaries. Now, it's, it's not a wrong question to ask, but we ought to be aware that these are the questions that pagans often ask, right? We stand on the sidewalk outside of Planned Parenthood and we beseech for the life of the unborn. And we're often met with, well, what if she was raped? What if there was incest going on? What if the life of the mother is at stake? What does God not require of me? Where are my spaces? This is in a way a Corban rule that Christians can bring to the text of scripture. Well, I will obey God unless, and then we result to what might be considered a tradition. Now, there may be truth, and yes, there are certainly exceptions, brothers and sisters, when we come to this text, but today we want to focus on what does God require of me? I found it humorous today that, um, or this week as I studied, as I looked over this text of scripture, I thought, how we might bring exceptions to the text, whereas when a church like ours would deal with or address a text having to do with women being submissive to their husbands, it's a lot of rah-rah. Let's see that happen, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. But then when it comes to you need to be subject to the government, well, hang on a sec. Let's talk about some exceptions. We get that antsy heart. And church, we should be cautious of how we guard and shepherd our hearts in situations and texts like this. Number two, and I think this happens a lot, is that when we come to the text of Scripture, we ask the question, what does God require of me? And I also want to make sure that I know what God requires of everybody else, right? Because I'm ready to obey, I'm ready to submit to God, but I want to make sure everybody else is submitting to God too. If I'm going to obey, everybody else is going to obey. There's an unwillingness to submit unless everyone else does. At the end of John's gospel, Jesus tells Peter about the kind of death that he would die to honor Jesus. 
And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, you come follow me. You see the directive. Peter was told, this is the plan for your life. Now, submit to that. Come, follow me. And what does Peter say? When Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Right? There's a fear of missing out. And then there's a fear of others missing out, right? Oh, I, I know I've got to submit, but I don't want you to miss out on submission either, right? We're all going to submit together, right? This is the way that children act, though. This week, I um, had a situation. There was an altercation between some of our children. And uh, one of my sons came to me expressing that he had been wronged by a sister. And um, I... I began to ask him about his responsibilities in the situation and what he had done and that he needed to be obedient to mommy and daddy's wishes and our commands. And he got frustrated and he said, Dad, at this home, you only require the boys to obey. What about the girls, right? Well, when we come to the scriptures, this is not the heart that we should bring to the Bible. We're here to ask God what do you require of me? This is your word. I am your child. What do you require of me? That ought to be our first instinct. And today, we're going to lean into this idea of submission. Corey Tin Boom said, don't bother to give God instructions. Just report for duty. There's a woman who learned submission in some very difficult circumstances. And I hope today that in myself and in you as well, the scripture will reveal areas where we are unwilling to be submissive. So I've got a very simple outline for you today. First, we're going to look at what is submission. We're going to define the term. We're going to look at what the Bible says about submission. When we are asked to be subject to God, what exactly does that mean? Secondly, we're going to look at why we should submit. God gives us reasons in his word, though his command should be enough, he gives us reasons why we should submit. And then finally, at the end, we will look at how we are to submit. So, to begin, Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be subject, be submissive, submit, put yourself under, subordinate, obey, or be submitted to. This is the Greek word hupotasso. It's from a word hupo, meaning under, and tasso to a point or set. When you get a new dog, one of the first things that you will probably do is teach it who alpha is, right? Because if you don't, the dog can tend to be disrespectful. A lot of people will immediately try and teach their dog to sit, okay? You'll give a verbal command, you'll point, and the dog will hopefully, after learning, begin to sit. What you've just seen is a picture, in essence, of submission. There is an appointment and a command. This is where you're to be. And then a taking of the place. Hupotasso in the Greek was a military term. And it was meant to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. So you see there's an appointment. This is your place. I need you to stand here. I need you to take guard. I need you to stand watch. But when it's used in a non-military context, it means, and church, hear this, a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, 
and carrying a burden. That's from the outline of biblical usage. So in essence, here's what biblical submission is. And this is my definition. Submission is our accepting and taking of our God-commanded place in the world. And this is done voluntarily and with joy. I'll read that again. In essence, submission is our accepting and taking of our God-commanded place in the world. This is done voluntarily and with joy. I want you to notice two things about this definition. First of all, it is commanded by God. This will not surprise any of us. In the ESV, we are told here to be subject. In the NASB or the KJV, you read submit yourselves. Verse 13 is not a suggestion. In the Greek, you can see the mood of a verb. The action has a mood with it, and this verb carries with it the force of an imperative. That means that we are commanded to do it. The inspiration of the Spirit of God had Peter communicate this as a command. It is also the same word that is used in a very familiar passage in relation to the Christian in government, Romans 13. Let every person be Subject, hupotasso, there it is, to the governing authorities. Titus, one final passage in the New Testament that talks about the Christian's relationship to government, says the same. He uses the same word. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Now, we understand that this is a command. We understand that God gives everyone and everything a place in the world. Animals have their place. The fish had their place in the sea. The birds have their place in the sky. We have our place in the world. God appointed a place for us to be. That is part of the idea of submission. If we did not know where we were to go, we could not submit to it. It must be commanded. We have to know the place that God wants us to occupy. But... In order for submission to take place, there must be a response to that commanded location. It is to be a voluntary and joyful response. Let's look at the word voluntary. The heart of submission is that it is voluntaristic. That means that it is a chosen place. It is taken. If you've ever seen a police officer pull someone over, you know that there's some kind of exchange that's going to take place. His job is to make sure that people are keeping the law. Everybody's got a place in our country. It's a republic. That means that the law is supposed to rule. And so the police officer's job is to make sure that everyone is abiding by the law. Now, if we get pulled over, we see the blue lights, probably get nervous, you might put your hands on the steering wheel, look straight forward. We all know the drill, right? Because we know... As law-abiding citizens, in order for this transaction to take place and things to go well, we have to show we are in a place of submission. That's what the police officer is looking for. When he comes forward, he knows, look, they did something wrong or maybe they didn't know they had their taillight out or their tags were expired or whatever. But in order for this to work, submission has to be there. Now, if I was to the opposite hand, maybe get out of the car and start walking towards the police officer, he's still interested in submission, but so much more so now, right? This is not typical of 
police interactions with civilians. And some way or another, with handcuffs, a taser, with company that comes and helps him, he is going to get me on the ground, and he's going to put me in handcuffs. But beloved, hear this. Even kicking and screaming, at that point, he has not achieved submission because I have to voluntarily give it. I have to put myself underneath it by my choice. Jesus told a similar story about submission, a submission of a son to a father. Jesus said, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and he said, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I won't. But afterward, he changed his mind. And he went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will, I would say, submitted to his father. You know, it's the second, or it's the first. He chose voluntarily to submit, even though initially he rebelled. Repentance is, in essence, a taking of your place in the world. It is a submitting to God's will and authority and rule in the world. No one could make us, beloved, submit. We must do that ourselves. And it is also joyful. Our submission should be characterized by joy. You sang Psalm 2 this morning, and one of the verses said, now serve the Lord with fear and gladness and trembling. The fruit of the Spirit, beloved, is joy, even in our place of submission, and what joy there is, because every need of ours, as you sang this morning, has been answered in Christ Jesus. This ought to produce a wellspring of joy in our hearts. What glory does a husband have from his wife when she submits begrudgingly? On Friday night at family worship, I was talking to my kids about this. What glory does a parent have when a child submits begrudgingly? Son, would you go sweep the kitchen? Yes, sir. Okay, there's no submission there. There's no joy. My wife and I tell our children that when they're obeying us, we, mom and dad, are looking for three things. We're looking for them to obey quickly. We're looking for them to obey thoroughly and joyfully. Quickly, thoroughly, joyfully. When you seek, parents, for obedience from your children, what you should be looking for is quick obedience, thorough obedience, and joyful obedience. Pastor Matt Hudson used to say, with a happy attitude, right? If you have not gotten that, no matter if the job got done or not, God was not pleased with it. He is not pleased with it when there's a begrudging attitude. God loves a cheerful giver. And submission is worship. Submission is worship. Our worship of God is the joyful voluntary response to his saving work of us. Paul says in Romans 12 again, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Submit your bodies. Give them to the Lord as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service and worship. Church, I ask you today, when is the last time 
that you thought about your submission in any circumstance, in any situation, to any authority as being joyful and being from a glad and willing heart, a voluntary attitude. Your response to seeing someone get pulled over, I wonder what they did. I wonder how that went. Your response to getting pulled over, oh, I'm late. Can't believe this. Can't he pull someone else over? Your response to a sibling getting disciplined, children. Well, they had it coming. They deserved it, right? And your response, children, when you are getting disciplined. <laughs> Lots of smiles. <laughs> One of your sisters, ladies in the church, you see her husband requiring something of her. Well, sweetheart, you should obey. You should submit. And then when your husband comes to you and asks you for something, how does your heart respond? What if you were cleaning up after a prayer meeting because you were asked to and everyone else is sitting around and talking and you're the only one? How does your heart react? Brothers, I would encourage you as we look, especially next week, into submission to the government to consider your role as a leader in the church and in the broader world. Your lack of submission, disciples. Your antsy, rebellious heart, disciples. At every moment, what we say in response to tyranny, how we respond to what we perceive to be government overreach, the attitude that we carry around our wife and our children. Why do we live in a world today where it is so difficult for everyone to submit. Men, I would encourage us to take up the charge. We are going to set an example of what this looks like in every area where God has ordained that we submit to authority. We're going to disciple. We are going to shepherd. We are going to teach. Well, I want to look secondly at why we submit why we submit. You see one reason right here in the text, for the Lord's sake. Beloved, the name of Jesus Christ is on the line. The name of Jesus Christ is on the line. Now, I know that might sound a little strange. Jesus doesn't need any help defending his name, but you are commanded in the third commandment to not carry the name of the Lord in vain. You were to not carry it in vain. Most times we think that's an inappropriate verbal use of the Lord's name. And yes, that's certainly part of it. But the way that you live your life, the way that you carry yourself, we can break God's third commandment because of our lack of willingness to be submissive in those God-ordained areas of our life. The first line of the Lord's prayer is, holy be your name. And how we act and our attitude, is it seen as good deeds towards the Gentiles, towards outsiders? Isn't it interesting that we were told in the previous verse, in verse 12, to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And the very first thing that Peter deals with is submission. The very first thing that he deals with is this idea of submission. Have you considered, beloved, that the holy God of the universe himself ordained in our text here today 
the state. Have you considered that? The government was God's idea. It was his invention. It was in his mind when he decided how the world was going to be structured and navigated with sin present, government was a big part of that plan. And it was part of a good idea that he had. Have you considered that God ordained government for our good? It was intended for the good of Christians and for the church. The government was meant to punish evildoers and praise those who do good. This serves the efforts of the gospel proclamation in the world. It serves the efforts of the church getting the message of Jesus to the broader world because they are to praise those who do good and punish those who do evil. Have you considered, brothers and sisters, that the government was ordained for the good of the lost? When there is no government, every man does whatever is right in his own minds. And we know the book of Judges and how that went for them. Some pretty disgusting things happened in Israel, in God's chosen people, in their land, when there was no king, when there was no structure, when there was no government. When we shirk our responsibility to submit voluntarily and joyfully to, for example today, the government, we turn up our noses at a God who has given us these things as a gift. Now, I know there's something in us right now that's... But in our current context, there's so much going on. We've got to talk about some exceptions. We've got to talk about the government's responsibility. Do you realize how quickly we want to go back to where I started this message? We're already back to, I'm willing to obey, but I need everybody else to. Beloved, Peter's command today is directed at the church. He mentions the emperor or king. He mentions governors, those appointed by the emperor or king. He doesn't talk about their responsibilities here. Paul's going to talk about those in Romans 13. He gives us a charge. He says, you be subject. And if we're inclined to think that we've got it bad, because we might have to figure out what to do about vaccines and passports, Remember that they were being thrown to lions and their heads were getting cut off, okay? And this is where the command lands, be subject. Be subject, submit. Take your appointed place voluntarily and with joy. Now, we will get to some more details about our current context and how we in America, with our structure of government, are to submit and when maybe there will be cases where we should not. And we're going to look at that next week. But remember that government is a gift of God. It is our natural response in the flesh to disdain and have disgust at the government. Calvin is asking us not to do this. He says, let us guard most carefully against spurning or violating the venerable and majestic authority of rulers and authority which God has sanctioned by the surest edicts, although those invested with it should be most unworthy of it, and as far as in them lies, they pollute it by their iniquity. What is he saying? What's your job? 
They have a job. They'll be judged for it. What's your job? Be subject. Be subject. Our Christian witness also is at stake. I said the Lord's name is at stake. Also, our Christian witness is at stake. And we've just looked at this in verse 12. Peter has said that our conduct, our Christian witness, as I called it last week, should be honorable or beautiful towards outsiders. Church, have you considered how ugly the spirit of rebellion is? Solomon told us in Proverbs, it is better to live in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Now, this is in the context of the way that women relate to men in marriage, but how disgusting, how ugly is it when she carries that attitude, when she is unwilling to take her place voluntarily with joy, submitting to her God-appointed head. And like a quarrelsome wife who is loathsome to the man who is meant to lead and serve her are those who carry a rebel spirit towards other authorities appointed by God. Listen to Samuel as he spoke to King Saul. Rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. You ever compared your submission or lack of submission your sinful rebellion against any ordained authority by God, even in your heart, have you ever considered that as witchcraft and idolatry? The Bible does. I've mentioned some other ordained authorities, and beloved Peter is going to take us through the rest of this letter and talk a lot about submission. Our Christian witness has so much to do with our willingness to submit to God-appointed authorities. Right here in verse 13, he's talking about our submission to the government, God-appointed authorities in government. In verse 18 of chapter 2, he's going to talk about slaves submitting to their masters. We might think an employee and how he submits to an employer. We're going to talk in chapter 3 about a wife's submission to her husband a little bit later on in chapter 3, how the world is commanded to submit to Jesus Christ. And then again in chapter 5, the church and how it is called to submit to the elders of the church. Do you see that submission is woven throughout every avenue of life? This is a big deal to God. Because as the police officer looks for submission, in order for that transaction to take place and go well, God is looking for submission in every area of life from his people to those God-appointed, God-ordained authorities. This we're to do voluntarily and with joy. Jesus himself taught us in a fallen world to submit to authorities who would wrong us and even sin against us. And he, the young Jesus, went down with Mary and Joseph and came to Nazareth. And he was, hupotasso, submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all of these things in her heart, Luke 2.51. Have you ever considered how Mary had these treasuring up of things in her heart? right? They had lost Jesus. 
He was at the temple. They said, son, what are you doing? And he said, didn't you not know that I was supposed to be in my father's house? But then he comes and he's, he's putting himself under them, under their authority. And we're not Roman Catholics here. We do believe that Mary and Joseph were imperfect parents. I'm sure they disciplined Jesus at times when they thought they shouldn't have or later thought that they shouldn't have. Perhaps they repented of their poor parenting. But here Mary sees the ruler of the world, the savior of all creation. And she watched and wondered as he submitted himself to her. The work of Christ in his willing submission to his earthly parents had such an impact on even his own mother. Well, lastly, as I close this out, I want to look at how we should submit. I want to look at how we should submit. Perhaps, brothers and sisters, this message has helped you to see some areas in your life where you have been rebellious, where you have been disgruntled, where you have been angry, where you have thrown a tantrum because the authorities over you are not doing a good enough job because they're not submitting to their God-ordained roles or because you think there's an exception here and you should have some autonomy, you should have some freedom. Perhaps Jesus has convicted you of those things. Can I encourage you firstly, as we look to how to submit, to receive forgiveness from Jesus for your lack of submission? Run to the loving arms of Christ. As you sang this morning, cling to Christ. I want you to hear this, beloved. Jesus died for your unwillingness to submit. I'll say that again. Jesus died for your unwillingness to submit. When he walked the road to Calvary, he did it for your rejection of God-ordained authority. When he was spit on and hit and a crown of thorns was pressed into his skull, he did it because of your slander of those imperfect image bearers called into service. Every instance of rebellion in your life, every inkling in your heart to be a usurper, every crafty plan to create your own dominion apart from Jesus was an instance for which he, the savior of the world, looking to the cross, said to his father, the wrath that's coming to them I'll take that. I'll take that. Father, your wrath, the just punishment that she deserves and he deserves, I want that to be my punishment instead. And so, by submitting himself to the will of his Father, and so, by submitting himself, to the will of his father. He did away with the punishment for our lack of submission. And today, church, even this morning, as you were on your way to church and there was something in you of a rebellious spirit, realize that God the Father, through his son, has put that away forever. It's no more. So, secondly, how can we submit? We can run headlongs into the, arm of the arms of the Father 
We can repent. The work that Christ did for our behalf ought to make the change of mind easy. Everywhere else you go in the world to try and find hope and happiness and joy, it is going to be joining pigs at a trough and trying to find food there. It will be broken and empty cisterns. There will be nothing there for you. But in repenting and coming back to your father through an acknowledgement of your lack of submission, you will be received. Like the prodigal son coming to his senses, we remember that the plan of our father is better than our designs. And the good news, church, is that he always receives repenters every time. So receive the grace of Christ. Realize what Jesus did for you. Repent. And this morning, if you realize that Jesus has done these things and that he's done them for you, but you've never repented, today is the day of salvation. Today you can acknowledge the name of Jesus as the Savior of the universe. And today... You can acknowledge your lack of submission, turning from it fully and becoming a part of the family of God, where by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will teach you how to submit to him and his God-ordained authorities. (laughs) Number three, how we can submit. Let's accept and take our God-ordained place in the world voluntarily with joy. I'm not going to address any exceptions this week. I want us to go home and meditate on this idea, this idea of a voluntaristic, glad spirit that says, I am ready to come under where God has put me. Where he wants me, I want to be right there. I don't want to be anywhere else. I want you to ponder this week what God has asked you to do in submitting to his God-ordained authorities before we jump to when we shouldn't. Before we jump to when we see examples in the scripture of others not submitting to authorities. Let's see this verse and let's ask God, I want a spirit that is ready to obey here. I want a spirit that is ready to submit. That's ready to come underneath. That's ready and willing to do what God asked. You might think this irresponsible. But again, we will discuss this more in the coming weeks. I think we need a week of meditation on how we submit to where God has put us in the world. Lastly, number four, and this is primarily in preparation for next week. As we look to when and how we should submit, and even when we should not submit, there are going to be disagreements, even amongst our own body. There will be issues and areas where one person's conscience will allow a kind of freedom to perhaps not submit to what they see to be a tyranny. And others, in order to be faithful to their relationship to Jesus, will sense that they must come underneath. I mentioned Corey Tin Boom earlier. You know that this actually happened even in her own household. Uh, between her and Betsy and her sister Nolly, there was disagreement about how much submission to the Nazi government they should give. Corey felt at liberty to hide Jews and lie to the Nazis' face about it. Nolly did not feel that same liberty and even taught her children to tell the truth to the Nazis. 
They had some Jews at one time hidden underneath the dining room table in their living room. And the Nazis came in and they said, where are the Jews? And the little child said, they're underneath there. And he, perceiving that a child was joking at him, ignored the child and they didn't find them. So you see how God can honor the varying consciences of his people. Beloved, we have to be able to bear with other people's consciences when they differ with us on issues like this, when it comes to the government and when it comes to varying degrees of submission. The scriptures command us in Romans 15, those of you who are strong, you are obligated to bear with those who are weak. Those who have restrictions in their conscience, we're to bear with. No, I must, in order to obey Christ, I must be submissive here. With the knowledge of the world, we need to be willing and ready to bear with them, even though they feel like their conscience is restricted. You might feel that you have more freedom, but in that situation, more love is required. The one who feels constrained in our day to wear a mask or to get a vaccine must get the same love from you as those who feel no such constraint and which you would say you have more in common with. They must not notice an inkling of difference in your love for them or others. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking and masks and vaccines and so on. Romans 14 verse 17. We can have good, rich dialogue with one another about our differences. Jeremy and I are hopeful that we can sit around a table, we can share a meal, and we can have some great dialogue about areas where we might even differ theologically and in matters of conscience. But two things, it must never break into quarreling. Romans 14.1, never quarrel about it. And... Secondly, if a discussion feels like it is getting factious, we must pursue what makes for peace instead, Romans 14, 19. So beloved, let us submit to the will of God for our lives today. Let us be willing and ready to come to the scripture to say, I want to understand, I'm ready to obey no matter what that costs me. No matter what that costs me. Many have been sent to the mission field because of coming to the scripture with just that heart. Many have been called into the ministry because they came to the scripture with just that heart. Many have repented of trying to quarrel their husband into submission and instead through a positive, joyful, meek attitude won him over without a word because of their conduct because they came to the scripture, they submitted to God's will, and they were ready to obey. Let that be what we press into over the next week, beloved, as we look and ask and seek and knock for God to tell us, Lord, what does it mean for me to submit to your God-ordained authorities? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. You have been gracious to create a world in which all things are under your authority. Even today, one thing after another is being put underneath the feet of Jesus because the whole world must be in subjection to him the whole world must come into submission if we are to get to the place we ought to be if the world is to be the kingdom of Jesus then everything must be in subjection to him 
And why not, first and foremost, his bride? Why not, in the world that we live in today, the watching world see and wonder at the good deeds of the bride of Jesus as they submit, as the church submits to everything to her Savior? I pray that this would be the case. And I ask that you would make this a reality, a true spiritual reality in the lives of those with us today. Please be with those who could not be with us today, those who are far off, those whom we love and long for and wish to see again, those who are sick and dealing with illnesses. Father, we ask for mercy. We ask for grace. We ask that we would be a light shining brightly to this lost world here in Anderson County. We lift all of these things up in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.